Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, The Power of Water, Global Warming, and Your Health. I'm Sharon Kleina. Before I begin the show today and explain um, some of the environmental ecosystem uh, planning that we all must have, is I need to remind you the reason I chose to do this show. As I've been in research for 30 years, and I am the founder of a technology and water therapy uh, that uh, has been a new uh, world to people, uh, that now we're going to learn to get more involved in water as a technology. But you've got a lot ahead of you. You need to be considering to be eco-friendly yourself, eco-environmentally involved. If you take care of yourself and learn more about your health and having an improvement of your health every day, you will help the ecosystem to be much more environmental friendly. You will be the environment. And I think there's been a confusion, it's been very confusing that if you recycle and if you turn off the lights and if you, you do certain things to be considering pollutions and more, you forgot about one thing, and that's my reason for having this show. You are the ecosystem. Each one of us that have been on this planet from the past to who we are today and the future of what would be eternity. Your eco-environment personally is vital to the whole ecosystem of your environment all over the world. We have lately been learning more about the power of water. People were taking it way too for granted, and the environment has been taken for granted with the water. And I've been noticing a lot of the bailout stimulus money that has been coming into our economy has not been considering health issues, environment, and the health benefits, and, and also water. Water, water is a, uh, um, scarce, uh, is becoming more scarce, more polluted, and it's endangered species. And by the way, it is a species. It's life on Earth, and without it, there would be no life. I think today we're going to have a lot of fun with our guest, Robert Cantrell. I wanted Robert to come on. He's the author of a very new, exciting book, on the strategy of patenting. And I came from a background myself of understanding what patenting means, but I would like a lot to challenge a lot of you to think about the environment and what you might be considering to be an inventor to improve the environment as an invention. It's, it's a wide open field all over the world. You could become very excited about being an inventor of something you thought of and if you do think about something and you learn to prove it, that maybe you could file a patent pending on it and maybe get a patent and make you a very special person to leave us with Brent on this earth with a patent. Before we go to our guest with Robert Cantrell, I'm going to remind you about the viruses that are floating around called swine flu. And before, during the show... I want you to be thinking about how important it is that you need to be eco-friendly yourself and improve your 
own habits of washing your hands, drinking eight to ten glasses of water, but it is a serious epidemic happening. And at this particular show, I want you to remind yourself that you are going to take very good care of yourself so that you will not be environmentally unfriendly to somebody else's health. And remember, that is what this show is all about. The population grew. The population grew in the United States by 47,241 people. Worldwide, it grew 94,339. The population in the United States as of today is 306,255,269 people living here. Worldwide, it is 677, people. So you see why we should learn to be very eco-friendly and with our health because we are affecting other people's health. Water is endangered. 1.1 billion people in the world uh, do not have access to good sanitation and water. We're having 1.8 children die every year because of bad water. Now that can be also in in industrialized countries, not just in poverty-stricken countries and where malaria is at. So think about what is environmentally friendly and what you can do to offer a better life on this earth through yours. Now, wouldn't that, doesn't that make you feel better to think about that? I think it will. We're going to listen to our sponsor from Biologic Aqua Research Center, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, the all-natural method of supplementing the eyes because the air is dry. We'll listen to Nature's Tears Eye Mist, our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Robert Cantrell. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. You're listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, the power of water, global warming, and your health. And today I have invited Robert Cantrell to visit us because I believe that the global new businesses that are available for the environment are an enormous field of invention, vision, imagination. It hasn't even been tapped. It's a brand new future in a business frenzy that people have not considered enough. They've been thinking about pollution and all those things that are so obvious that have been going on for so long, but none of the unobvious. You inventors can consider being a new inventor, a new idea that you thought might be too, too uh, wild to think of beyond. You might be shocked how important your invention, your idea to improve the environment. Robert, are you with us? Uh, yes, I am. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much for your invitation. I really appreciate it. Well, I think you heard me um, when I t- got your book and I talked to you earlier that, you know, the world is open to inventions and ideas and visions and imagination. And, uh, Robert, I need to tell you why I picked up on it so much is when I was a young girl, 
my grandfather was a tool and die guy from way back in time, but he managed a big, huge mine. And when the mine closed after many years, he decided to own a big insurance company. But in, he went over, but his favorite thing was his shop in the backyard, his tool and die work and patenting the next little ball bearing size and patenting all these different things. And I grew up with his, I was the oldest grandchild, and I always remembered him talking about patenting. And you've got a vision in your book that I think is exciting for people who want to vision their imaginations and inventions not to think they're not possible for the environment, to improve our environment. But let's talk about what you have learned about where you came from, why you got involved in writing a book on the strategy of patenting. Um, well, actually, it's, uh, you know, the, the way I got involved in it, like so many things I think a lot of people experience, is actually a complete accident. Um, I was uh, in the first part of my life trying to be a stockbroker in the recession in 1993, which probably wasn't the uh, greatest idea for me. And I had a uh, Duke biology degree, so therefore a science degree, and, uh, and happened upon a uh, company called Thompson Information that sold um, patent information uh, to major companies around the world. And what that uh, gave me access to um, is that in order to develop business, I had to uh, be able to show people how to use the database. And so I had free access to a database of millions of patents uh, and patent documents mm -hmm. and, um, and started to look at things in groups and start to identify patterns and, and how people could, um, to, could look at the patent data um, with much more clarity. You know, before we go forward, there's a lot of people I have found out, because I have patents, mm -hmm. um, let's explain what the description of a patent is, but we might even go back. Did you by chance ever tap into when the first patent uh, was originated? Well, it depends. if you're, you're looking at the U.S., it's a 1790 patent for... Uh, 1790. Yes. Um, and so, and why do you think uh, they decided? You know, everything's an invention, and the word patent was an invention. Why do you think they invented the patent? I mean, I don't want to be obvious. I mean, way back in 1790, what was their thinking then? The word patent to be an invention. Well, it's, it's funny that we we had this discussion just a couple of weeks ago uh, at, a, at a conference that I was at, and. And so Thomas, Thomas Jefferson is uh, given credit for really having the uh, insightfulness to put together the patent system as it was put together. Mm -hmm. And the thought is very simply that you want to give people who come up with new ideas an opportunity to profit from those ideas for a limited period of time uh, before they experience uh, a lot of competition, a lot of people are allowed to copy uh, those inventions. Uh, so the idea is that if you provide an incentive uh, for people to profit on their ideas, that more people will take the uh, time, effort, and risk mm -hmm. associated with, um, with coming up with new patentable ideas. Do you think it's possible that he also might have found that there were so many people that wanted to invent that it gave that person a chance to apply for the opportunity event, and then when it was proven that it was going to be a technology uh, of benefit to mankind, that they would give them a protection also? 
Well, it, it did, yeah. It certainly, in order to uh, to earn a patent, there were certain standards of performance. And mm-hmm. so you could say that that might have also served as a quality control. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but, you know, the, the discussion that we had related to this is we, we wonder if, uh, you know, Jefferson's idea was, was a great idea. Um, did he envision the amount of growth and wealth that could be attributed to intellectual property uh, today, did he have the foresight, was what we were trying to say 200 years ago, to have any idea of what this all would become today? Right. Yeah, especially when you stop and think about what is ha- really happening now today even more. But can I ask you too, Robert, um, yeah. I, I'm so surprised a lot of people when you say, well, something about patenting, and they'll look at you, yeah. You know, um, are you finding out there in any uh, interviews that, uh, out there on the streets of wherever in the world that a lot of people, yeah, that's been patented, yeah. Do they really understand what patenting means? Well, the, out on the streets, I don't mean the company or the people who are actually doing them. They obviously see it. But do people out there understand when something, what, what it means when something's been patented? Um, I think people have uh, an idea. I mean, I think people understand that when they see that something is patented, that uh, that copying it is going to be in some way illegal. Right. Um, now, I don't think that people fully appreciate, you know, what the ramifications uh, could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other side is that I do think, particularly for individual inventors, there can be a danger of feeling too secure in having a patent. Right. You're right. Okay. Yeah. So so it kind of goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Um and and what I think people need to understand is that that you know a patent is a a right to enforce exclusivity, mm-hmm. uh, but that's all it is really. It's a description of your technology. It's a right to enforce exclusivity. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody else were to infringe upon that patent, uh, then you or somebody that you're working with has to have the willingness and the ability to enforce that mm-hmm. uh, that patent. Now, we're in an era of mm-hmm. the reason I was really looking forward to this today, and we may end up doing it again if you have time again. Sure. But, you know, we're at a time that I was noticing even during the elections, they bring up the environment, but do they really understand what, what we're lacking in our environment? They're taking the most obvious because that's getting the foundations and the grant money and all that money, but there's, things in, there's ideas in the environment to improve our health that haven't even been tapped on yet, Robert, that people could be envisioning and somebody could say, you know, I thought about something. And, um, and today when we're here uh, at the end of the show, I'm going to be saying some things that I have ideas that people could take, go do it, uh, some ideas. But to get an idea of going out and studying something about what to improve uh, in our personal lives for the environment, Mm-hmm. Uh, that people haven't thought of, and if they get enough information and they study enough and they become a, enough of what they could consider themselves an authority and then do file what's called a patent pending. And tell us about patent pending. Um, well, what, what patent pending means is, is simply that you have applied for a patent. 
or that any or a company that has applied for a patent. So you probably people are familiar with seeing that uh, anywhere on you know things from toys to things that they might get at a, at a drugstore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a it's just a kind of a warning. It's saying you know we we have applied for a patent. Uh, it hasn't been granted yet. Um, the thing with patent pending is that there's no guarantee that a patent will ever actually be granted right. on that particular invention. Now, how long does a patent pending usually last? Let's say a person does have their information, and they've obviously had to hire a patent attorney because no way is a layman going to understand how to uh, apply for this. And how long does a patent pending last? Well, it, it lasts as long as it takes to get the patent, and there really is no actual straight answer on that. Um, it, depending upon the technology, and this is something that you would discuss with a patent attorney, um, certain things take longer than others. Um, if you are uh, patenting a, a new type of, uh, of lever to make, um, um, to make fishing safer for other animals, for lack of a better uh, thought off the top of my head, uh, you would probably be able to get that through quicker than something that might be more on the uh, pharmaceutical end that has to go through certain regulations. and uh, Pharmaceutical products take longer. Yeah, yes. So, and, and there really is no, and there's other variables too. Uh, sometimes um, the patent office is backlogged, and sometimes that backlog is greater than other times. So, so it's something that you work on with your... Now, uh, during the patent pending, is there a particular time I noticed in some information is there about so many months that are real? It's almost confidential. A lot of people don't even know oh, yes, you apply. Yes, yes. How many for, months is that? Uh, for 18 months. 18 um, months. For any invention that is, uh, is patented both in the uh, United States and elsewhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I can go back to explain that. Um, after you file the patent application, it stays a secret for 18 months. Mm-hmm. All right at which point the patent offices publish your patent application. And anybody that searches those files, and they are publicly accessible not only in the United States, but European, Japanese, mm-hmm. all the other countries for mm-hmm. which you might, might consider applying a patent uh, for. So if you file a patent pending, you want to go out and file it around the world a little further, and not just in the United States, so you've got a pending going in other countries. Right, and it also depends upon your purpose for patent pending. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to keep something secret, and very often that's the strategy that, that a person or a company wants to do, um, is that you might take advantage of that 18 months of secret and say absolutely yeah. nothing at all about your invention. Yeah. Um, in other circumstances, even though you have that 18 months of secret, you might want to put the patent pending on right away as a warning. Mm-hmm. And saying, "Look, you know, yeah, I've seen is, that done. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, they uh, put it out there, uh, get the filing of the patent. Now, before I do go on, how do they have to? How far along? How early would they have to do the patenting before they launched it? In other words, you can only have so much time. If you've launched too long before the patenting, you can't patent any file for the patent anymore. Well, here, explain that? here's the rule of thumb on this one. If you're um, uh, if you're filing in the United States. Um, the United States has what's called a first to invent. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you are able to prove that you, uh, you know, through, through uh, any type of documentation or safeguarding that you, you might uh, do, that you have invented that invention at, uh, at a certain date and time, then, um, then you can start to talk about it and you can always go back to that proof. Okay. Um, it works different in most other countries. Uh, in 
Europe, for example, uh, European Patent Office, which is a collection of all the, the countries where you can just patent in one place, mm-hmm. um, once you disclose the invention, for example, if you were to take something that was large and test it out in a park where somebody might have seen it, mm-hmm. then it's considered disclosed, and, um, and then you wouldn't be able to file for an application. Okay. We're going to take a moment from our sponsor for a second, and we're going to come back and let's discuss uh, that uh, first to invent. Sure. Uh, because a lot of the inventors and uh, listeners worldwide that may have not had the confidence to think about going any further because they just had an idea, but they were incompetent that somebody would steal it anyway and it would be a waste of time for them. Right. Uh, Robert, we're going to be right back. Okay. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, the natural supplement of moisturizing the eye. We'll be right back. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Uh, Robert, we wanted to ask you, uh, we were talking about the first to invent, but you have this exciting book out called Outpacing the Competition. So, and I want the listeners to know, it's Outpacing the Competition. Uh, Robert Cantrell, the author, and you've written several other books on patent-based business strategies and other ideas. Uh, on the first to invent in the U.S., uh, tell us about, let's say a person wants to invent something and they have this idea that there's always been this rumor and that, well, when you've decided to invent, there's other people at the same moment doing the same idea. There's a duplicate, but they haven't told it, nobody knows it yet. Right. So let's say somebody gets, decides intellectually, and listeners think about this. If you know your subject and you've learned it, you start writing it and you go out and you're interviewing and you think you've got an idea that you want to invent, you need to file the patent pending before you get too far. Am I right or wrong, Robert? Well, well, well right. You want to file a patent application. Really, what you, the, the other thing to appreciate with a patent is that you know, the patent is a legal document. Uh, to file a patent at some point, you're going to need to talk to a patent attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what, uh, a couple of things that, that you would do with that is when talking to your patent attorney, uh, you, you know, I talked about being careful when you disclose. When you're disclosing an invention to your patent attorney, you have the uh, relationship that is, is, uh, exists between you and that attorney mm-hmm. that allows you to, to discuss your invention. Mm-hmm. Um, without having to worry that you're going to lose patentability. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and as a matter of fact, and again, talk to legal counsel before doing this, uh, you could even discuss your invention with potential companies who might want to sell it to, provided you have prepared proper nondisclosure documentation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, uh, and then the other now thing... Now I'm to back you up real quickly, um, and, and excuse me for interrupting with all, but all of a sudden you said, uh, possibly a, a contact an attorney 
And if you're talking to a company to uh, discuss your patenting with, you need a, uh, a legal document to protect you from somebody else if you're wanting to sell it to someone? It's supposed to, yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a standard thing you want to have because you, you want to have an agreement that, uh, that if you show an invention to a company mm-hmm. uh, that you've got something on paper that, that mm-hmm. says this company is not going to run off with it. Uh, so and now, is this before the patent pending or after the patent pending? This could be both. Both. Okay, but uh, but certainly before, especially. You know, once you've filed for your uh, patent applications, you do have some degree of security through Now, would that. you do that? Let's say you do have the patent and you want to go show it to somebody. Should you have them also sign something that they won't uh, create a competition with you? Yeah, you generally want to do that because in addition to discussing the invention, you're probably going to discuss business models, how you intend to sell it, how you, you, you know, there, there'll be other things that you might be talking about that won't be in the patent itself. Mm-hmm. And so it pays to have a non-disclosure uh, mm-hmm. agreement mm-hmm. with you when you do those discussions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, certainly if you have an invention and an idea that, uh, that you have not filed for a patent on, you want to make sure you have those non-disclosures in place mm-hmm. Uh, so that you do not burn your rights to patent, uh, to file for a patent in, in Europe and other places where mm-hmm. otherwise any other disclosure would be considered a, a public disclosure of the invention. Mm-hmm. The non-disclosure agreement keeps it, it, calls, it, keeps it from being a, a public disclosure, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But again, that is something that, that, that you want with an invention that you're working with. You do want to get an attorney involved. Yeah. Uh, oh, definitely, because uh, there's so... Well, you know, I think also, listeners, and Robert, you will agree, there is so much competition because it is such a big money maker. Yes. When you, when you hit it right, it's a big money maker. It's Absolutely. huge. It's beyond all. You know, Robert, I have to tell you, and you can, let's think about this for a minute. You remember during the high-tech era um, when they were in, bringing out the Internet and all the new technologies of what we call the high-tech era, and they started the new Wall Street. Uh, everything was coming to an IPO quickly, full bore. Uh, well, you were the stockbroker, <laughs> Robert. Right. I didn't know you were the Okay, you can really relate to. Can you imagine? Now, I, when that whole thing went under and they lost that $160 billion business future, all I could think about, and my brother Ron Cowan was with the conference board at the time, and he was an economist his MBA from Wharton. But anyway, uh, Ron, all we could think about in where I was, they didn't just lose $160 billion. Robert, what happened to all those patents? Uh, the patents uh, were still there, actually. Yeah. Uh, no, but uh, I was they do to, to go forward to make an exciting superpower out of them? Uh, absolutely. Well, see, there's just a whole bunch of things that, that happened to those. In some cases, the, you know, the venture capitalists might uh, try to sell those off. And and the whole, even when you talk about the value of a patent, um, it's almost impossible to put a dollar value on a patent because it, it's so dependent upon in whose hand it is exactly. in, at a given time uh, and what they do with it. Um, in other words, you, you can get the patent, but what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? And, and see, and this is always, this is a, always something that individual inventors have to uh, uh, be concerned about too, because you can have the best idea and the best invention in the world, but if you do not have the vehicle, resources, and funds to do something with it, um, it, it may not be worth a whole lot to and you. And how many people do you, with your background, have you interviewed out there maybe that said, yeah, I filed for a patent pending, I got potentially the patent, 
what did you do with it? Well, at the time, I kind of forgot how I, I know, I forgot about it. I mean, it was almost like they, well, they didn't know what to do with it to start with. Mm-hmm. How, much, how much do you think is that is going on? Well, there is a, a reality that, uh, that 95% of the patents that are uh, filed by anyone, uh, major corporation or individual, uh, turn out ultimately to have no commercial value or very okay. little commercial value. Are they doing it to back to our outpacing the competition and coming up with more ideas to, to be competitive? Well, some of that is, yeah, is that um, there's a couple of things that's going on, and that's partly why the book is titled Outpacing the Competition, is mm-hmm. that uh, you may, I mean, let's look at a pharmaceutical company, for example, and it may have uh, on, on a particular promising compound, mm-hmm. let's say, 10 variations of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe one of those variations is actually going to ultimately become the drug that goes through clinical trials. Mm-hmm. But at that given point in time, they're not going to know which of those 10 is ultimately going to prove more, most promising. Mm-hmm. And in order to maintain their freedom of operation, as it is called, um, and to get this on the books and get it filed, they're going to file for this broad sweep of of uh, of, um, of, uh, of compounds. And then you also have to think too that there's there's two reasons that uh, that anyone patents actually. One one is that possibility of enforcing exclusivity, mm-hmm. uh, but the other is to maintain freedom of operation. Because looking back at that pharmaceutical company, and again with, with 10 potential compounds, if they develop one but leave open for a competitor to develop those other nine, uh, then they may leave the uh, seeds open for, mm-hmm. for uh, tight competition that they could have prevented by, in a sense, mm-hmm. filing for a patent application uh, to or keep More patent somebody, pending uh, application. Uh, uh, right, right, filing a patent application um, to, to help keep competitors out for the time it takes them to build their business. Okay. All right. So so that's, you know, and that's where, you know, even when uh, this 95% is kind of an industry understood mm-hmm. piece, but but it's uh, but even that's a little vague in the sense that, you know, are we considering a patent only valuable if it actually becomes an invention, a sold mm-hmm. invention? Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the value of a patent that gave a company the time to build its market mm-hmm. uh, and made it a little harder for a competitor to come in behind them, even if it was not used commercially? Now, I'm going to bring, uh, bring up something um, here in a minute um, before we're done with this segment. And listeners, we're going to be talking to Robert about his crusade and mission of life, Saving Sharks, on the next part of the show. But uh, Robert, I want to ask you, how, when a person, let's say you have the patent and you're, you decide that you're going to go, uh, you don't want to go really take it to, uh, you got the patent, but you don't really want to do the business for all over the world, what about licensing uh, the patents out? Uh, well, is that, that a very common? That's very common. It's very common, uh, especially for, for small uh, individual inventors and small mm-hmm. companies mm-hmm. that may not. Now, wait a minute. I've I got to ask you one there. Yeah. Aren't there a lot of companies that are big, huge companies licensing? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, like Microsoft and uh, companies that are out there licensing. You can't own anything they have. You, you get to license it because they have the patent and they have the rights to it. Well, well here's, here's a difference in a way that the whole uh, environment is changing, especially in the high-tech world. Patents had traditionally and still are viewed as a tool for exclusivity, for, in a sense, isolating uh, competitors from yourself. Mm-hmm. 
the way things are going now, and licensing is a big part of these, is patents are actually becoming interactivity tools. Now when explain you, that to us so that we all understand it. Okay. When you get to the bottom of any strategy, whether any industry, any field, including intellectual property, there's an interplay going on between isolation and interaction. Uh, you're trying to isolate certain parties. You're trying to interact with other parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so patents uh, traditionally had been viewed as we want to isolate. We want to keep our competitors out. But now we're seeing them as, in a sense, collaboration tools. What the patent, that enforcement is still uh, um, is important for the patents because it gives you the confidence of being, confidence of being able to interact mm-hmm. on an equal basis with another company. But what you have is that any given invention, especially in the high-tech world, could actually be a composite of, uh, I think it's MP3 players, I think we're, uh, there's 500 different individual patents that are associated with all the technology that goes into that product. Mm-hmm. And so for any product to be developed, people have to work together much more closely. I see. Mm-hmm. And, and the patents, they're, they're in a sense, they're trading chips. You know, I'll license these You're 10 sharing. to you if you license these 10 to me. Sure. You know, or we'll create a patent pool, and that actually allows... So, so this was a, a statement that actually came from Marshall Phelps from Microsoft, who was one of the... He was kind enough to review my book, but he says that, that uh, uh, competitors are partners, customers, or that companies are partners, customers, and competitors all at the same time. And sharing, yeah. Right. Begin to share with this. Now, uh, if just for a moment, um, um, I remember uh, my brother, Ron Cowan, knew the head of IBM. And yes. when they went to buy IBM to show them um, their product. Yeah. And uh, I, the idea, if I remember correctly, and you can correct me, but is they wanted to sell it because they felt like they'd sell it. And then all of a sudden, IBM said, no, we'd like to license and see this out. I think that was the greatest gift ever given to Microsoft, Robert. Absolutely. licensing. And they went, I can just see the, it's kind of like Simon Cowell with the American Idol recently listening to the woman from uh, Britain singing this song. (laughs) All of a sudden, they're going, oh, my gosh. I, there's money here <laughs> for a long term. A, a, a properly prepared license can be valuable oh, for yeah. both people. Well, they've been doing it in the movie industry, the music oh, yeah. industry, all over the world, and all of a sudden high-tech thought, uh-huh, and uh, why yeah. sell when you can own and share? Right. Licensing keeps you with a stake in whatever you're doing. And then, and then, and then, and then, also keeping up with your, let's say, like what happened with Bill Gates and other people like Bill Gates in the world mm-hmm. of passion, mission, belief, and what they were doing and the futures that offered, and obviously to humanity. Um, yeah. You you don't want to give up. You want to keep going. Yeah. You see, I'm the same way, Robert. You know, when I got the first technology and the water description and since the planet. Um, I was bound to determine that I could show in humanities there is, a, there is a therapy in the dose amount of the water. That's a technology to me, uh, for me. And I, I, and I want to keep going. There's no ending to what I want to learn. Absolutely. And uh, for the humanitarian concerns, because of dry air being so critical. Now, uh, we're going to move on to our sharks here pretty soon. But uh, what would you like to teach us in this lab of lessons today about what people should consider and not fear uh, and but yet be aware of if you have an idea, not to be concerned about sharing it, 
uh, and going out and patenting is what I mean, or and what should they consider? Well, it's uh, it kind of goes back to that that uh, that core strategy that I said that it's been shown that isolation on the whole tell, causes uh, decline, um, and interaction uh, tends to lead towards growth. And for you to get your ideas out, you need to be interacting with them. You're going to have to interact with customers. You're going to have to interact with potential licensors. Um, so the main thing to do is if you've got an idea that you want to, uh, you're thinking about patenting, uh, get in, uh, talk to a patent attorney sooner rather than later, uh, get all your documents uh, prepared, um, and then start talking to people. Robert, what do you know about, real quickly, too, the registered trademarks? Do you know anything about, because a lot of times if you want to have something, you want to call it something. Uh, what, what about, do you have any knowledge about registered trademarks? Well, it's, it's similar as well, that, that if you want to register it, uh, you can register it on yourself. Then call yourself, it something, yeah. Uh, but it can be useful to talk to an attorney, too. And, and, and that's kind of, you know, and it's, it's you know, yet a, a further discussion, but when you think how uh, trademarks and patents work mm-hmm. together, that, mm-hmm. that what the patent can do is buy you time exclusive of competition to mm-hmm. build a brand, at so some you patent point, first, and then maybe coming file for a registered trademark to at least give it a name. Right, right, and the registered yeah. trademark would be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, the patent is going to expire, mm-hmm. uh, but that registered trademark goes on forever. Yeah. And now, you what may about have, uh, what about TMs like t- t- trademarks? That does can a person do file, or do they have to put? Can they put a TM on there or a copyright to protect it while they're trying to decide if they want to call it something? Oh, certainly, certainly. As soon as you use a name in uh, in public, you're, you've officially trademarked it. Yeah. Um, and uh, and the registration is is just an additional layer of protection that helps out if you ever mm-hmm. have to defend it in court. Mm-hmm. Um, and copyright too. The moment you write something down on a napkin, for that matter, it's copyrighted. Mm-hmm. Um, but but getting the official uh, copyright certification and sending it to the copyright office gives you that documentation that the uh, courts like to see you know, if there ever is a, is a conflict. Now, before the show is, and we'll go on to your passion here in a minute, uh, on the sharks and the water and all, the sea, uh, I wanted to tell you, I told the listeners and you that I had some ideas for them to consider. And, for example, uh, it can, there's a, people should be drinking more water, Robert, and, um, they, but at home they forget, and they're, they're wanting to walk around with a bottle of water, and they're afraid to go to their tap. And I'm considering somebody invent decanters that can put water in it with, with the ice and, and the uh, uh, lemon, lime, and orange rind, uh, rinds or slices in it, and maybe they could design and invent decanters that can go out, and people will have a decanter at home that they like. Or, for example, some other way I thought about, Somebody could invent down clothing. In other words, inside your home, lower the thermostat and uh, have a cooler home. In fact, did you hear, Robert, they just proved that a cooler body is healthier? And if they decided to wear a down vest or down slippers or down little uh, in the home or out of the house to where you have, uh, and it's healthy, it's environmentally. Uh, Then there's the other one is spa bathrooms. Our bathrooms were designed long ago. Yeah. Uh, not to have anything to do with thinking about moisture and dry air and how do you, and we got into so many more showers and then the bathtub detoxifies you. We got away from taking a bath, but they detoxify you, and the shower only rinses you. So mm-hmm. there's some ideas for spa, spa bathrooms. 
then we have in the plant systems. We all love our plants, but what is there some new ideas to keep the plants healthy? And maybe nobody's thought of some of them yet. Then the other one was indoor little gardens, like a little sunroom. Way back in time, houses, the old houses would had what they called sunrooms. Well, maybe we could have a new idea invented with sunrooms with little planters or ideas with little uh, botanical planters or whatever in there that give us an idea. So there's a lot of ideas for environmental thinking, your health, yeah. uh, ideas of herbs or certain things of teas, uh, that have been going on that can be invented and pat- file a patent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just wanted to throw that in. <laughs> well, well, there's a you know, there's a, something I I do fairly frequently um, is to run uh, innovation workshops, which is oh. where you take an idea, any uh, one of those ideas. Um, you know, get together with uh, uh, I like I like. 14 people is my magic number. Uh, usually I like to have engineers, salespeople, and, and maybe even a patent attorney if you can get one, um, and really start to flesh out uh, the ideas over a day or two um, so that you, um, you build all the components of, of the idea into something that's a little bit more tangible mm-hmm. that somebody could, get, uh, could actually draft a patent application around. Wonderful. Well, we're going to take a break, listen to our sponsor, and then we're going to come back to a passion of yours. Okay. The sharks of the world. All right. Okay, we're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, the natural method of supplementing the eyes with moisture. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back and listen to Robert about the sharks. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Robert, I want yes. you to tell us about your passion about our sharks and this planet, an ecosystem. It's becoming an endangered species. Uh, tell us about what, how, why you decided to get involved in saving the sharks. Well, well, here's what, uh, if you look at outpacing the competition, on the cover of the book there's a, um, a white shark. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's there for uh, for some real business purposes. Uh, this is patents deal with attorneys a lot, and attorneys are often considered sharks, and so it's a little <laughs> bit of a play on that. And um, and so uh, so many. <laughs> but uh, but but what's happened is um, I've uh, I've been fascinated with the sharks since uh, uh, probably 1971 when Blue Water White Death, a documentary, came out. Um, and that was uh, one of the things that inspired Jaws, which unfortunately had a, a severe backlash uh, with the sharks starting back in the 1970s and 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, but with uh, the um, rise particularly of, um, of the economies in Asia, uh, a major problem has occurred with the, uh, with the sharks in uh, with the shark fin soup. 
Mm-hmm. And and what has happened is that uh, populations of sharks have been uh, decimated around the world, and, and nobody's uh, nobody's noticed uh, because it's happening out at sea. It's happening to sharks, which have a bad reputation in the minds of uh, of many people. Um, and so some people in the uh, marine biologist community, have, I, I heard the term, uh, I wish I could attribute it to a particular individual, but it was uh, called the last buffalo hunt, uh, that if you remember what happened to the uh, buffalo out in the yeah. west, uh, that people were shooting them from trains and, and mm-hmm. nobody was paying any attention mm-hmm. until they were almost gone. There was something in there to mention real quickly, and I'll rush it because I want to hear more here but quickly, but is our forefathers were the most genius I mean, I cannot believe what they did uh, for our lifestyle and what they achieved. But for some reason, they just thought the Earth was going to be there forever. Right. Everything they did was genius, but they never thought about uh, the braided grass and and the species and and smoking a cigarette or uh, drinking too much. But they were geniuses about everything but forgetting that life can go on for a long time. Right, (laughs) right. There's a word called eternity. And and you know and it's fairly recent uh, phenomena that uh, you know that the population on Earth has grown to the extent here that it is it is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Uh, I mean, if you think that if just uh, um, one person uh, or, or you know every person in in China you know has 1. just one bowl of shark fin soup mm-hmm. for whatever reason during the year. Wow. You're talking... Um, well, not just China. You've got all the other Asian countries that have, that's one of their cuisine exciting specialties. Right, right. Oh, and my goodness, and, I hadn't thought about all that. And the irony there is uh, I was in Japan recently, and so uh, and, and odd things happen, and people know that uh, that I've got a passion for shark and <laughs> sharks. And, and they wear these uh, monograms on there. Protect the shark, and you walk into right. Asian. Right, but the uh, the understanding isn't there because the the thought was that uh, that they would take me out to get uh, shark fin soup because I like sharks, uh-huh. uh, and then I had to explain that you know no this is this is not what uh, is your passion to save the sharks. Right, it doesn't go along with the soup um, at all. Go along with the soup. <laughs> <laughs> and and then the uh, and additional ironies on that, uh, and so this is a little bit of an ex- uh, thing that I learned uh, in in Japan is that uh, that I felt that the un- environmental understanding was not as high as I would have liked to have seen among the, most of the people that I talked to. Um, the thing that it, it's uh, shark fin soup is sold as a uh, health product. Uh, very commonly, it's, it's supposed to be a healthy soup, but in in truth, uh, people that eat it actually are getting a real high dose of mercury. Okay. Okay. Uh, sharks are at the top of the food chain. Uh, any predator on the top of the food chain is known to accumulate toxins, even naturally, let alone what might be going into the water uh, from additional environmental pollutants. Well, I've often said, and I have to remind myself, whatever makes you feel good, maybe you should stop and think about it twice. Right. Right. <laughs> Uh, now tell me, because of the day you and I talked, you just gotten back from saving a, a shark from a garbage bag. Well, this is uh, this was an interesting story. I was out on a, a boat called the, the Shearwater, which is a, a, a guy named Jim Abernathy runs it. He's a very well known uh, shark uh, diver and, and advocate. Um, we were out there among other things, and and this is, sounds strange to people, but there's a 
16-foot tiger shark uh, that has been a regular uh, attendee of his dive trips, and I got a chance to meet her for the first time. This is just oh, three my weeks God. ago. Now, explain this again. You, there is a shark out there that he keeps. What's his name? Uh, Jim Abernathy. Uh, Jim Abernathy goes back to, these, to, to dive in to go visit yes. this, this particular female shark. Yes, and it was my second time with him, so ah. I was seeing many of the sharks uh, second times around. And But the ah. thing that was, I, I've recognized having... So how does he know where that shark's going to be? I thought they'd move around. They, the tiger sharks are residential. Oh. So he sees They find the same, favorite spots. Right. They, they, they basically live there. Uh-huh. Um, and so, uh, and I'd already seen that, that you know, these, these sharks are much brighter than people uh, may give them credit for, which makes sense. They're top uh-huh. predators. Top predators tend to be bright. Uh-huh. I was fascinated to see a 16-foot shark that seemed to recognize him like a puppy dog. Isn't that amazing? Okay. And she went right over to him, and he actually uh-huh. invited me over. And, and, and we you were probably thought you died and went to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> we were playing with a 16-foot tiger shark uh-huh. like a puppy dog. Uh-huh. You know, you could pet I mean, you got to How much would a shark like that weigh, do you think? Oh, it's over a ton. Oh, my uh, goodness. Oh yeah, and she was pregnant. She was clearly pregnant. Oh. So and um, now I've got photos on on my website of of her, and she's. Uh, oh. Now what is your website? Uh, it's just robertcantrell.com. Robert, uh, no no initial. Robert, c a n t r e l l dot com. That's it. All right. Okay, and she Hold she's it. up there under Ocean Gallery. Okay. Um, but this was just it was just fascinating to you know to see this. Now, where did you what part of the where did you go to go see her? This is uh, kind of an undisclosed location okay. off of uh, off of the Bahamas. And, well, in the uh, Bahamas is what I was after. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and um, uh, and he certainly doesn't av- advertise it because. Uh, right. Right. That's no, okay no, because I was just wondering where where do you go? Whereabouts have you gone in the world to to dive to? Uh, Fiji, um, uh, San Diego, Guadalupe Island, uh, mm-hmm. Rhode Island. Oh my goodness! Uh, uh, Rhode Island has great blue sharks. Um, you got North out Carolina. in the ocean out of Florida. Uh, Florida area. Mm-hmm. Uh, Belize, so a number of number of different places. The so Bahamas is a favorite. You got a lot of variety uh, of species there. Yeah, but you do go out on special times to help uh, save the sharks to uh, protect them from some of the problems they get into. Yes, and, and you'd mentioned the lemon shark. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened with the lemon shark is that you had a an adult male lemon shark about seven feet long that had swum through. Somebody had discarded a nylon type bag with uh, with a rope around it, a very thick nylon rope. Somewhere along the way, the shark stuck its nose through the rope and, and got it lodged down its torso. You know, and sharks can't go in reverse, and they don't have hands, so I uh, apparently couldn't get this off. And the shark... A, a shark cannot back up? Uh, sharks don't back up, no. Oh. No, they've only got forward. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so at least the, the big ocean going ones anyway. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so there was no way this rope was going to come off the shark, and it wasn't going to dissolve off. And the shark started to continue to grow around it, and it started to eat into it mm-hmm. about a, uh, half an inch at this point into exposed flesh all around the shark around this rope. Mm-hmm. And so we um, were able to, uh, especially Jim Abernathy's crew, I actually ended up being more of the photographer and spotter on it, mm-hmm. um, were able to get a, a lasso around the tail of the shark, 
bring it up onto the boat, um, and uh, or then Jim jumped on it like a wrestler, uh, mm-hmm. pinned it down, cut the rope off, and put the shark back in the water mm-hmm. uh, all in about a minute. Wow. And, now, uh, we've only got a minute. Now, I want you to give us a last moment, your uh, plea to the world about what you believe the sharks, to protect the sharks. People need to understand that these are intelligent animals. Uh, they deserve protection, and there are practical reasons aside it, too. Mm-hmm. Anywhere where shark populations have been decimated, the uh, populations lower on the food chain, uh, it's basically caused chaos uh, with the end result that, that uh, fish and the like lower down the food chain basically eat themselves into starvation. Uh, and food, uh, fish resources in general plummet when you take the top predator out. So aside from everything else and it being the right thing to do and these being beautiful animals, mm-hmm. uh, for the conservation of the oceans and the resources that is out there, it is absolutely essential uh, mm-hmm. that these animals be uh, protected. Protected because they're part of the ecosystem. They're at, and they're part of the top of the ecosystem. Yeah, in and fact, that, we've had ecologists on say that if you take a plant in the forest and move it over 100 feet, you've changed something. Absolutely. And, uh, we've, and when there's an ecosystem, we all need to protect that. And that's why this show, Robert, because I wanted people to realize how important we are as individuals to each other's ecosystem. Yes. Well, thank you for thank joining you so us. Much. I know you're very busy and outpacing the competition with... Uh, understanding more about patents pending and patents, uh, I think that's going to be doing very well because I think we're at a time when the environment will be having more p- people excited about maybe getting more visionary and wanting to invent. Right. Well, you have a nice day. You too, sir. Thank, Thank you for joining care. us. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, didn't you enjoy that? I really <laughs> think that the environment has a huge future of invention. Ideas of all ideas, you could, beyond all imagination, our forefathers, President Thomas Jefferson, 200 years ago, knew that the future of life on this earth had an invention and needed some protection of the technology. Um, in closing today, I want to bring up uh, the virus problems that are going on all over the world. They will continue to be out of control. Uh, more people are getting viruses than ever than life. As you read recently, dry air can cause flu. Be sure to understand what absolute moisture will do for you and mist. Um, need to wash your hands, drink a lot of water, and take a bath because it detoxifies. Showers only rinse. And remember the eco-environment that you can participate in. Remember it isn't always just recycling your garbage. It can be you, the person that is so important to yourself and those around you. You can do this, I know. Enjoying the, uh, the green lifestyle. Be chic. Be different, maybe, for a while. And make everybody vulnerable to how you are environmentally friendly for yourself, your own health. And maybe, that, won't that make you feel better? There's a saying out there, now doesn't that feel better that you can do something for others around you? I wanted to thank you for listening. And remember, at the end of the show, I always say, Earth has a secret. Embrace your life every precious moment. And Earth is whispering, never say goodbye. Leave that footprint, that memory behind for eternity, for all to remember your passion, your love. Thank you for listening, and have a nice day.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 